This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, this is the Breakfast Grill. I'm Keith Kam. This year, 2024, looks like the year for Malaysian digital banks after five licenses for these operations were issued by Bank Negara. First off, the starting grid was the Grab-led GX Bank in December 2023. Two more since have gotten the green light to start operating. They are Boost Bank, a JV between Boost and RHB Bank, as well as Aon Bank. That leaves just two more, the consortium led by C Limited and YTL Digital Capital, and another led by Huff Investment Bank, whose deputy CEO is in the studio with us this morning. Tariq Ahmad, good morning and welcome to BFM. Good morning. Thank you for having me here. Tariq, we had your colleague Rafiza Ghazali, the CEO of Kaf Islamic Digital Bank, on this very seat about six months ago. A lot she couldn't disclose to us at that time, but she did say that you guys were not going to be the first to roll out your digital bank. So two more license holders left. Are you planning on being last? Well, I think we're planning to be somewhere in the next uh, one year, obviously. But I think the being first or last is really not the most important thing to us. I think ultimately, we obviously want to be part of the team. We see the five digital banks not really competing to each other as to who is going to be first or who is going to be last. We want all of them to succeed because this is an incredibly new space. Mm -hmm. And being part of the cohort is just as important as being, you know, whether you're the first or the last or the best. So we're very happy to see GX launch and yeah. fairly successfully and we are very happy to see the other two get their approvals from Bank Negara very successfully and look forward to see and have them make a strong start so we're we're kind of like five small guys here you know a much bigger pool and I think we're all holding hands to make each other succeed do you even have an official name yet something cool maybe well, officially, internally, we've worked on something along the lines of Kaf Digital Bank or something like that because we feel that the Kaf brand name has been very strong. We've right. been in the financial line for the last 50 years or so. Uh, the Kaf name has a strong AA rating behind it uh, by Mark. So I think if you were to do this... SEO optimization, uh, you'll find that we are already strong as, as a car banding. So that we're, we're, we're working on that. But as with anything, uh, this name will be subject to the approval uh, of Bank Negara. Tariq, you said just now you were expecting to have it launched sometime by this year, but Bank Negara did give a deadline by the end of this quarter, which is less than three months, right? What's the process like right now? I mean, you must be accelerating your, your efforts. Definitely. We're definitely in the last sprint. There mm -hmm. is a deadline that Bank Negara has given and we're all aiming towards that. That's the operational readiness deadline by which we're allowed to actually operate. But in terms of the public launch, the business development launch, that may or may not be immediately after that. Largely it's because of timing of what we want to do in terms of our what's called the friends and family phase. Mm -hmm. uh, some people call it close beta test, we call it our pioneer phase and that's uh, really where we have the first public exposure to the bank. Uh, then there will obviously be a public launch where uh, we do much more interaction and engagement uh, with the public for a much wider spread. So I think that's what really the angle is coming from. So GX Bank when they 
launched, they reported having signed up something like 100,000 customers within the first fortnight itself. This sort of, I guess, thins out the potential clients that you and indeed the other three would be getting. Is your strategy going to be, uh, is it going to involve cutting fees, giving out freebies to entice people to sign up maybe? No, I think the ease of onboarding when it comes to digital banks means that you're not limited to just one account. Pretty much if you look at the younger generation, they just sign up for everything. So it could well be that we're expecting people to sign up to all five digital bank accounts and making the comparisons and finding that they'll retain all of them. One of the strong points of a digital bank approach is that the, the cost per account is actually fairly low because the economies of scales are there. We're not burdened by mm-hmm. you know branch costs, for example, that often not, most digital banks will not penalize account holders for having accounts. So I think there will be a different account for a different set of people. Every bank that I feel that's launching in the in our cohort has its own unique proposition. And so we feel that from the point of view of only having one bank account and saying having to choose one digital bank over the other is probably not uh, going to happen. They'll, um, you know, if I was a young college kid uh, and saying that, oh, this bank's offering this particular service or this particular angle, in our case, Islamic digital banking, they say, I'll have that as well. You know, that provides that and they'll be able to shop around. And I think the ease of transferring funds right now makes it fairly easy for that segment to just not have to make a single choice. So we don't feel that, you know, uh, the first will get the first mover advantage. I think the issue here is that the first mover advantage may be that if there was no banks and if you're the first bank, then it makes a difference. But we've got an incumbent bank out there with, you know, 8, 12 million customers already. So you're you're no longer at first mover advantage. The digital bank is what offering do you have and the ease of barriers to entry for each account holder. So I think that's not so much a concern for us. You don't see it as sort of a race to the bottom when it comes to fees charged to customers because this will be great for customers but not quite so great for you guys, right? Uh, Well, from the point of view, if fees was the only pain point, Mm-hmm. But the pain point is not fees. The pain point often is processes. The pain point is often the customization of offerings. The pain point is obviously the enablement of, for example, small businesses or MSMEs or those who are underserved. Uh, I think fees are always a good thing. You always want to offer better rates or, or lower fees. But I think that's not the only choice decision that we have here. I think each will have its own platform. Each will have its own uh, niche selling point. So I feel it's not going to be raised to the bottom. I think what happens is that customers will actually get more value Mm -hmm. because digital banks are able to offer much more value to the processors compared to traditional banks. That's why we say the main competitor to us digital banks is not each other. The main competitor is the incumbent uh, market out there. What's interesting also, you you mentioned pain point. We've had one of your digital bank partners again on on this seat as well, Eric Cheng, the CEO of Kasim. He had believed at that time that the digital bank might launch at the end of 2023 so that didn't happen. I, I was just curious, what would you say was the toughest thing to sort out rolling out this venture? I would say that there were many challenges that uh, whenever you're building, think of it like building, a constructing a, a new office building, for example. There are the plans, there's an estimated launch, you have your pre-buyers, uh, but you know, in construction, there are things that crop up. Mm. Um, even throughout the period of the build-out process, Banagara came out with a lot of new guidelines. It's a learning process for them as well. I think I'll give you a specific example. One is the kill switch, which prior to launch was 
not even discussed. But because of what happened to certain other banks, I wouldn't name names here, it was felt in the greatest wisdom that uh, Bandagara said that a kill switch was very important. The other one was SMS OTP. SMS OTP prior to uh, launching was the de facto authentication standard for everybody. Now everyone's realizing that SMS OTP is not the best method and they're coming up with new methods of authentication. And it's still a problem right now in terms of fraud. So these things change. And at this point in time, these changes and these improvements need to be incorporated into the technology as you build it out. So some of these push back some of the development that we had to do. So I would say this is one of them. The other one is also the expectation of you know technology as well. Sometimes it is bugs and technological challenges do crop up without you realizing. So it's never always smooth sailing. So I would say technology is probably uh, one technology and technological improvements of, against the guidelines that just come out uh, is usually one of the big challenges. Aside from that, it's been pretty smooth. We've had very strong support from Bangara, they've been very supportive and very understanding in terms of what it takes to build a bank. We're one of the few regulated countries where we've been given a firm deadline. And the deadline we think is good, it's very important to have that deadline because it's very important that everybody's on the same page in terms of aiming to a certain target. But at the end of the day, things happen. And as long as we are all within that two-year period that we get that opportunity over the line, I think we should be able to launch quite soon after that. This is great that as you go along, you learn things that you need to include in terms of cybersecurity and to prevent fraud and all this, but it would at some point increase your cost as well, right? I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on the timeline for becoming profitable? Because what I've read is that PWC did put a seven-year timeline for ventures like these to become profitable. Um, I think we've learned a lot by a number of global digital banks that have uh, launched in the last 10 years. Where the points of cost are high versus the ROI on those costs and which business lines work well. So I think in that, it allows newer banks, those who actually don't, aren't the first out the gate, to observe and see where are the profitable business lines and whether or not it be small business financing, whether or not it be from an investment point of view, user investment products point of view, those tend to drive profitably a lot more. And we, we learned that from before the first few banks who came out and just was a land grab of deposits and a land grab of loans. One of the things that we feel that as being in the financial industry for the last 50 years is that the business of banking, whether it's digital or traditional, doesn't change. It is basically a business of asset and liability management. No matter what technology spin you put in it, how you structure yourself, if you get your asset liability management right, you can find profitability within the horizon and within an acceptably short time. And we, we have been in the ALM business for a very long time. That's why for us, we're confident and we encourage anyone going into this line to focus on the fact that the underlying business is ALM. And uh, that's where we feel profitability is not going to be a challenge. Having said that, you guys have decades-long history in investment banking, asset management, equities, but not so much retail banking. That's not where your strength lies. And your partners are Carsum, Generexu and Money Match. What if you needed to relearn about banking services in order to get into this? I think there's a huge talent pool out there in terms of retail banking. And they all are familiar in terms of both the retail credit management, retail credit business development, but underlying to that. And if you look at Benegara's risk framework, for example, um, the retail portion forms what is effectively a small part of the whole banking book. Mm -hmm. A large part of it is still treasury. Every bank out there has very strong treasury management, whether it's RHB or Maybank, they've got very strong treasury. And that drives the stability of banks. And stability 
your banks becomes very important when it comes to managing your balance sheet. So while retail is important from the experience of developing the business, getting the consumers in, ultimately the retail book is another part of your asset base and managing that properly, managing the risk properly and with the Banagara's very stringent guidelines in terms of risk management, we feel that that learning curve is actually not very steep for us. And there's talent out there and we've been hiring very good talent so far. Rafiza's assembled a very good team and I think that it's not an unsurmountable hurdle to uh, develop a retail business even though we haven't been and bear in mind we have had some retail experience from both our funds business as mm. well as our broking business prior to this. Uh, so I think uh, it's not a completely foreign domain for us. On the breakfast grill this morning is Tariq Ahmad, the Deputy CEO of CAF Investment Bank. On the other side of the break, we try to get a sense of what the IPO scene might look like for Malaysia this year. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, you're still with us on The Breakfast Grill, where in the studio is Deputy CEO of CAF Investment Bank, Tariq Ahmad. Now, Tariq, back in April last year, you guys sold off all of CAF equities to CIMB for about 148 million ringgit, effectively exiting that business. What's the latest with it? For that, I'm not at liberty to say 100%. It's not within the domain that I have right now. Suffice to say, I understand that there's progress in that. Approvals are probably either on the way or have been given already. So I believe that that issue will be closed within a short time. Why the decision to sell off that business though? Report said that it was mostly to fund the digital bank venture. I'm sure there must be other ways to raise funds, right? Well, I think it wasn't entirely that. As you know, the CAF investment bank balance sheet is incredibly strong. We made about, I think, 200 million in profit last year. Digital bank requirement only requires about 100 million in capital uh, mm. unimpaired to operate. So actually, the capital funding was not the main reason. But partly it's in terms of the strategy of, of what we want to do in terms of uh, cash equity business. The cash equity business in Malaysia is one of those that everyone has been saying for the last 20 years has been sunsetting and especially for smaller brokers. They've been looking for, a lot of smaller brokers have been uh, building their business largely in terms of advisory, M&A, IPOs and we feel that is a very competitive space and suddenly when you find that a space is uh, incredibly competitive where margins are thinning for a small organisation I'm not talking about something as big as CIMB which has a much better reach much a bigger product from com- its commercial banking side, uh, it may not have been for us. And we can better pivot our resource into a higher ROE business, in whether it's digital banking or funds management. And we felt that it was timely that uh, there was a willing buyer and we were a willing seller to, to find an exit to business. But most importantly, it was a buyer that we were comfortable with because it, the, the company did have a lot of stuff. And we wanted to ensure that they all had a a good new transition, uh, a new boss, shall we say, to to go into. So that it, it just fit in. So I think strategically we had to make, the, we, we had been in the business for close to, I think, 40 years. We acquired the business in 1984, 1985 and built it and got the right. best out of it. But at some stage, the uh, you have to say, well, maybe we're too small in this competitive space and the opportunity arose uh, where this came up, which, which fit uh, nicely. Picking up on what you just said just now, regarding the digital bank, you guys would be required to have 100 million ringgit in capital requirement, as you said just now, right? Amongst the consortium partners, is CAF coming up with everything? 
We're coming up with a large part of the contribution and it will definitely be more than what's the minimum required capital because obviously we will uh, need to run the book for a longer period of time. But yes, we will be coming up with the majority of the stake. Many of the other consulting partners will be contributing as well, partially in kind, partially in capital as well. So we will still hold a, a large stake of it, partly because of the governance structure as well as the experience and the stakeholder requirements. Going back to CAF equities, it wasn't an actually lucrative business. I mean, it reported a 98% year-on-year decline in net profit in FY 2022. Revenue was down 43%. Talk to me about the challenges you guys face. I mean, the stockbroking business is extremely competitive. It's competitive on its own, but as part of an investment banking group, it represented a complementary service to a lot of our investment banking, corporate finance, even the funds activities. So we, it was it's a nice thing to have as a complementary piece, even though it was not a major profit driver. But it still it plays an important role. From clients, so we, we were very much an institutional business. We had institutional clients which we serviced both on the mm. fixed income side as well as the equity side. So it became fairly robust on a complementary basis. But purely on a, on a business basis, I think the business for us, for a small broking firm, was probably not something that would be sustainable over the very long term. But I'm also curious because during the MCO years, this was the time when you know everyone was playing shares because there was basically nothing else to do. How is it that CAF equities didn't benefit from this phenomenon? Well, the main point of it is because uh, we had always been prior to COVID uh, as an institutional focused business. Mm -hmm. And the institutional business did not change by a huge amount. I think the institutions that we serviced were very much sustaining uh, their investment business throughout the whole COVID. By the, so things did not change very much. The boom in broking really came uh, on two things. One was when the online brokers came out very aggressively, where people could trade themselves, where people moved away from what was the remiser model towards yep. the online broking model. And that empowered the investor to do high velocity trades, even and because it's very so cheap to do a trade. And that growth, those who benefited from it, I would say the ones like uh, Rakuten, for example, benefited right. it from it from the revenue point of view. And that appeared all around the world. All the online brokers did well, whether or not it was the uh, FOMO trades or whether or not the, the in the US and all the online brokers benefited. For us, uh, we, we had some benefit, but largely we were still institutional focused business. Uh, and so that's why we didn't ride that wave in the same way post-COVID. Why was that not the decision? I mean, it did seem like a no-brainer, right, at that time? Well, I think prior to the, uh, we didn't want to jump into a new business which we weren't doing before. I mean, that right. would be like, we could have invested heavily into an online broking system to capture that. But as you know, technology costs a lot of money. And had we committed a huge amount of capital into it for something which would eventually be just a short-term thing, it would be you know like the way that glove companies expand capacity mm. just because there's suddenly this COVID and find that you've got so much excess capacity capacity that you can't monetize it. We are someone who's always believed in long-term investment. You know, we're a long-term financial services company, so we don't believe in catching just the trend just to get maybe one or two years worth of revenue and find that we're not, we can't win that space. So I think that was the main reason. Yes, we saw that coming, but we didn't know how long would it last. And it didn't last. And we, in looking back, if we were to spend millions on a new system just to capture that business, and there are so many brokers out there already spending money, we said, well, hold back, we'll 
stick to our guns. We are an institutional broker. We've got very strong research, very strong institutional servicing team. We just write it out and, and manage to sustain that and complement the investment banking business. Looking at your financials though, your latest full year is for 2023. It's impressive. As you as you said just now, 117.6 million ringgit net profit, more than double what you recorded in the previous financial year. I'm guessing this has something to do with you guys unloading cuff equities. But what are you anticipating once all that dust settles? Well, just to correct that, actually a large part of that is not really uh, the, from the sale of equities. A large part of that is from our treasury business, mm. which is very much a fixed income focus business that we've been doing for the last 20, 25 years. It's just prudent management of our portfolio and our balance sheet. And it's not just last year's bump up in, in profit. Consistently, the CAF group has managed to post fairly strong, fairly sustainable profits year on year because we have a fairly strong and sustainable core business in, in the treasury part. So going forward, we aim as CAF Investment Bank to continue that. We provide an important role within the fixed income market. The capital market needs fixed income and especially the Islamic market, the Sukuk market. So we feel that we will stick to doing the same thing. The new venture that we have in terms of digital banking complements that because what it does is it exposes us to the retail portion of the industry and also the, the Islamic portion of the industry, which is an area specialization which we feel has strong growth over the next five years. Hence our keenness to invest in this. Your latest first quarter shows a 3.5 million ringgit loss. From what I can see, I think this is the first red quarterly figure in Yong's. Anything to worry about? We don't worry so much about the quarterly figures because a lot of them is those are related to individual cash flows and mark-to-market valuations mm. and a number of other things. And we feel that, you know, those are un- generally unaudited results anyway. So for us, it's the full year. Uh, we had some initial costs because of the rollout of the digital bank. There's mm. a lot of upfront costs for the first time ever in terms of the rollout of the digital bank. So that was taken in. But in the grand scheme of things um, versus what we normally deliver every year, we don't see it as a major concern. It's just uh, a lot of it is just cash flow managed, uh, cash flow timing. Calf Seagroat was once listed on Bursa. Any plans to re-explore that route for any one of your subsidiaries? We feel that nothing is out of the question when it comes to listing. We feel that Bursa is a very strong, loyal market that's out there. But it's whether or not it suits us from a point of view listing. Does listing benefit us? And given the strength uh, that we have right now, that we do not need to raise capital, we don't feel that there is a need to list uh, anytime soon at this particular moment. So at the point of time where maybe there is a need to raise capital is something which we look at and we will certainly explore that, but nothing in the near future. While we're on the subject of IPOs and, and listings, what's your outlook like on Malaysia's capital raising market? How much is CAF IB hoping to tap from that? Because I think Bursa missed their target for the number of listings last year and it's been about 30 or so the past three or four years. What's the prognosis like for CAF Investment Bank? I think we had a fairly strong uh, IPO market last in terms of numbers uh, relative to what it was before in the last one or two years. Going forward, there will be some more, probably not as strong as last year. I think setting targets, again, setting targets for numbers of IPOs may not necessarily be the best KPI for Bursa. You really want quality IPOs. We want quality uh, IPOs that are sustainable and investable. I think there is probably still a bit of repositioning and reorganization to deliver the Malaysian capital market as a big IPO market. However, compared to when I started my career, there are many more sources of financing at the moment. If you really look at stock market, it is a source of capital raising. Mm. Now, with the PE market, the venture market, the debt market, the private markets out there, there's so many other options. So the exchange really needs to step up its game to a certain degree to 
still cover that source of capital raising as a premium source of capital raising. It's still the most accessible market for the retail investor, which is very important. You know, not everybody can invest, only sophisticated investors can go to private markets. But still, it means that the options that the retail investor has to have are still limited to that of funds and unit trust. So I think that is one of those things where going forward, given the right steps, we can uh, have a sustainable IPO market and capital markets going forward. But a lot more needs, the bar has to be raised. Tariq, thank you so much for the chat and all the best with the digital bank and everything else. Thank you so much. We were talking to Tariq Ahmad, the Deputy CEO of CAF Investment Bank on The Breakfast Grill this morning. I'm Keith Kam for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.